We're going to begin reading from Galatians chapter 5 and pick up where we left off last week. Now, we're going to start reading just a little bit earlier than than our text this morning. You see on the screen the text is from verses 19 to 24. However, what I want to do is begin reading in verse 16 and just know that our verses are 19 to 24 for this morning's exposition. So, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, The works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Let's pray together. Gracious God of heaven and earth. Lord of the church, we praise you for your amazing love. How can it be that you, the king of all the earth, would come and die for wretched sinners? Would come and die for rebels? And yet, that's exactly what you did, Lord Jesus. And so we want to praise you and thank you this morning. And we want to bow our hearts and worship you. For who you are and all that you have done. All that you have given us. In grace and mercy. Lord we pray. Thanking you for your word. A lamp unto our feet. A light unto our path. It is that which we can place in our hearts. And hide it in our hearts. That we might not sin against you. It is the way in which we can come to know you. In fullness and clarity. And we thank you so much for your word, inspired, inerrant, infallible. And we pray this morning that you will take these words that you inspired to be written and now illuminate them to our hearts and our minds. That we, O God, can be solidified in your biblical truth that we may rightly worship you and appropriately apply your word to our lives. We ask this in faith, in Jesus' name, and amen. Amen. So you can see on the screen this morning that our subject will be the works of the flesh contrasted against the fruit of the Spirit. So in the flow of thought, to give us just a little bit of a background, we're understanding what it is to live the Christian life in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because what the Apostle Paul has been writing this entire letter 
about is a false doctrine and a false gospel that said you live the Christian life and as a matter of fact you're justified in the sight of God and accepted in the sight of God on the basis of your law keeping. If you keep the law that God gave to the people of Israel through the hand of Moses, then you will be righteous in the sight of God. And if you do not keep the law that God gave to the people of Israel through Moses, then you will not be justified. You will not be saved. You will not be righteous in the sight of God. And therefore, you will be under his just wrath. This is a false gospel. This is not the gospel, the good news from God concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the good news from God concerning the Lord Jesus Christ is that even though you are dead in your trespasses and sins, and even though you are marred in your sinful depravity to the point of the place where you cannot keep God's law, God has acted in grace and mercy on your behalf to send His only begotten Son into the world who lived a perfect life, went to the cross and died in the place as a substitutionary sacrifice for sinners and arose from the grave, ascended to the heavens and will return to receive His bride any moment. And you are called and I am called by this good news, by this gospel Not to try to, through the energy of the flesh, improve our behavior by looking to the lists of rules of do's and don'ts. But we are to be conformed and submissive to that spirit that indwells us. To live the Christian life is to live a supernatural spirit-empowered life. And so Paul has taken chapters 1 and 2 to defend his apostolic authority to speak on behalf of God and to refute this false gospel and to establish in chapters 3 and 4 the true biblical gospel that justification is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And then when we get in chapter 5, as we have learned, he turns the corner to the practical section of the book, helping us to understand that if we do not live the Christian life by trying to muster up through the energy of the flesh and self-effort to do better in our performance, how do we live it? And he answers that question powerfully in verse 16, that if we walk by the Spirit... He answers it in verse 18 when he says, if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. It is not the law that you need to look to. It is God, the Holy Spirit that you need to look to. And so we have looked at this over and over again. And today we're going to think about this contrast between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit of God. And that's what he does. In essence, if you'll look with me at verse 19, he begins and says, now the works of the flesh are evident. And then in verse 22, he says, but the fruit of the spirit is love and so on. So it's a clear comparison and contrast between these two concepts, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. So let's take them one at a time. So number one, the works of the flesh. Paul mentions in verses 19 to 21, 15 
what he calls evident works of the flesh. And these are contrasted with the ninefold fruit of the Spirit of God. So you have 15 works of the flesh, which is challenging for me to get through that in a single sermon. But we're going to try and you're going to pray. And uh, the ninefold fruit of the Spirit. I've got, I mean, we have, God has given us stuff to say about all of those 15 and all of that ninefold fruit of the Spirit. Now, what is remarkable remarkable to me right off the bat is that Paul often uses lists of virtues and vices in the teaching of the gospel and how to live the Christian life. I want to give you a little sampling of that. So this is another advantage to having your Bible with you. Turn, if you will, to the book of Romans chapter 1. And this is... Again, a place that I will have to be very careful to get you through this. But I want you to see that this technique, as it were, inspired by God as it is, is nevertheless something that Paul, the apostle, uses often in his letters to the local churches. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 29. Of course, you know that Romans 1.18 says the wrath of God is coming against all ungodliness. And then he goes on down after he talks about how they have rejected the truth and suppressed the truth as they pursued their own agenda, their own desires, their own fleshly desires. And he says in verse 29, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips. Slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. This is a clear list of vices, of wickedness and works of the flesh that Paul mentions to the Christians at Rome. Turn to the next book in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 9. And again, we're thinking about how Paul employs these lists. And I'll tell you why I think that's important. Chapter 5, 1 Corinthians, beginning in verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world. Or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, he would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to read that word? (laughs) So don't come to me after this sermon and say, you're not supposed to judge. I don't want to hear that. He says, Kevin didn't say it, the word of God, Paul the apostle, full of the authority of Jesus Christ. It is not those outside the church whom you are to judge. God judges those outside the church. We are to purge the evil person, he says to this particular local church, from among you. It is those within the church that we have to do with this kind of excommunication, this kind of particular kind 
of judgment. But the thing that's significant is all of those works of the flesh that he mentions in this text. Look, if you will, in chapter 6 of that same book in verses 9 and 10. He says in chapter 6, verse 9, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Does that sound familiar? In Galatians chapter 5, when he gets through with the list, he gives them a strong warning. The same exact warning. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be, what's that word? Deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, or idolaters, or adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such, what, were some of you. Significant point. So he does it again there. Turn, if you will, to the book of Ephesians. Skipping Second Corinthians and go to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. Ephesians, chapter Four, and we'll just look at verse 31. Ephesians 4, 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And so again, it's a very, very similar thing that he writes. If you look in chapter 5, down at verse 5 of the book of Ephesians, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, are you recognizing any patterns yet? Has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. There's that word again. Let no one deceive you. Be not deceived. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Look, if you will, in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5. Colossians chapter 3 verse 5. Put to death therefore what is earthly in you. And guess what? (laughs) Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must Put them all away. And then he has another list. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in knowledge after the image of its creator. And then he has a list of virtues down in verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And so you see that Paul, and I could go on, I've got 2 Timothy chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 4, Revelation 21, Revelation 22, and on and on, Paul uses these lists of vices and virtues often in his writings to the local churches. Now, it's interesting that he uses these lists. Have you figured out why? (laughs) Because all of these sermons about legalism have been telling us, don't look to lists. 
So Paul is either going to make me and my interpretation and my application of biblical truth out to be a liar, or he has a purpose beyond the purpose of promoting legalism in the life of the church and among the disciples of Christ. And he does have a different reason for that. Paul is not using these lists to invoke a legalistic morality so that we would drum up the energy of the flesh to do better and not do the bad things and try to do the good things. But rather it serves as a warning to not be what? Deceived. Over and over again, he says to them, you, these people who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. And the reason is because there is a very, very, very powerful pitfall that people can fall into. You know what it is? Some people call it easy believism. Some people call it cheap grace. What is that? It's when a person has a kind of faith, a kind of belief, a kind of religious ritualism and Christian morality that looks to self to have this moralistic, ethical lifestyle that's usually subjectively chosen by the individual, kind of drawing it from Scripture. There's there's a tendency in people that are lost in sin, and even sometimes it's a tendency within people who are newborn babes in Christ, to think that that's the way you have to live the Christian life, that you have to try to, through the energy of the flesh, improve your behavior by looking to a list of do's and don'ts. But Paul gives this clearly not to invoke legalistic morality, but to serve as a warning to those people not to be deceived. What can you be deceived with? You can, listen, be deceived that you are saved. You can be deceived that you are saved That you are justified and that you are a child of God. Now, I'm not trying to scare you no more than the Bible is, than the Apostle Paul and the Holy Spirit is trying to warn you in a crowd like this. And you don't really know me ultimately and I don't really know you fully and completely until we stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And the warning goes out to everyone indiscriminately not to be deceived. If you, going back to our text, are walking in the works of the flesh and enslaved to these works of the flesh, Paul gives a strong and emphatic warning not to be deceived. A lot of people think that if I just say a prayer, walk it out, go to the baptism, become a member of a church, then I'm saved. But that's not true. It could be true that when you do those things... You are saved, but it could also be true that you are deceiving yourself into believing that your action of prayer or your action of walking an aisle or checking a box or being dunked in the water or putting your name on the membership roll of a church, that that ensures you that you are in fact saved. But the Bible never gives those kinds of things as indicators that you have the assurance of salvation. The only people, my friends, that are saved are the people, listen to me very carefully, that are born again. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, you must be born again. The Bible says that if you do not have the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, you are none of His. 
The only people that are justified and saved and eternal and secure in the presence of a holy God are those people that possess spiritual life. And it is easy for us to be deceived simply because we tend to look at on the outward appearance of things, right? But over and over, Jesus taught the apostles picked up that same teaching that what is significant is not to look necessarily at the behavior. That's important. We'll talk about that here in a minute. But the most important reality is what has happened on the inside. Has there been, my friends, a real and radical change? Has there been a real and supernatural operation of God, the Holy Spirit, on your heart? Jesus taught this in Mark chapter 7. Where does sin come from? Where do the works of the flesh come from? Listen to me. They do not come from Satan. Satan does not make you gratify the desires that you yourself have in the flesh. Now, he uses those tendencies, he uses those inclinations toward the works of the flesh. He uses that to tempt you. He uses that to attack you. But Jesus said that you sin and your sin and my sin comes from within us. In Mark chapter 7, if you wanted to look, or you might just jot it down. Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 20 down to verse 23, Jesus says, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality. Envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. So Paul didn't make up this concept, this idea of making this li- these lists. He got it from Jesus. When James writes about this issue of the works of the flesh and sinfulness in us and in the world, he says in James chapter 1, beginning in verse 12, Where it comes from, just like Jesus said, where it comes from, it comes from within us. James 1.12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. His own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. It is clear to us that Paul wants to warn in this comparison and contrast between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit... He wants to warn us not to be deceived into thinking that a moralistic lifestyle is equivalent to the new birth. And to encourage us 
that when the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, is there, there will be clear fruit on the tree as evidence that He is, and it is an assurance that we are born again and we are a child of God. Now, let's look at this list and break it down into four categories. I may only get through this one. <laughs> I, I would like to get through them both, but if we don't, I'm not too worried about it. So, we're still thinking about the works of the flesh over against the fruit of the Spirit. And this list of the works of the flesh can be broken down into four categories. I'll tell them to you, and then we'll go back and look at them. Number one, three sins of sensuality. Three sins of sensuality. And we'll see them there. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Second, two sins associated with pagan religions. Namely, idolatry and sorcery. And then the bulk of this list are eight sins that deal and are concerning relationships between people. Eight Involving relationships like hatred and envy and those types of things. And then the fourth category, two sins involving dissipated living. And if you don't know what that means, it means excessive indulgence in sensuality. That's what that means. So let's go back and I want to be brief as I can, but I want us to look at this list. So the first three are sins of sensuality. Things like, first of all, he says in verse 19, the first one on the list is sexual immorality. This is the word in the Greek where we get the word porn. That's where we get it. It refers to sexual sin of any kind. For example, this particular word would encompass but not be limited to adultery, fornication, homosexuality, bestiality, and prostitution. This particular word encompasses but is not limited to those kinds of sensual sins. The second word is the sin of impurity, the works of the flesh of impurity. And this is a word where we get our word Catharsis, someone where we need to be thoroughly cleansed. This is the word impurity referring to ceremonial uncleanness that barricades and separates us from approaching God. So in the Old Testament, if a, if a person was impure, if they were unclean, they were not permitted to approach God in any kind of act of worship. And that's what this word means. And, as you might have guessed, these three sins, these three in this first category, are highly charged with sexual connotations, including this impurity word as well. And then the third word in the list is sensuality. And this is defined as a lack of self-restraint. This sensuality is a lack of self-restraint which involves one of the conduct that violates all bounds of what is socially acceptable. Boy, do we live in a day and an age that follows this list to a T. It is 
unrestrained sexual indulgence. That's the first three, and that's the first category. The second category, two sins that involve pagan or false idol worship or pagan religions. The first one is idolatry. It's a general word for the worship of anything that is not God. People today, one of the, one of the most pervasive forms of idolatry today is a subjective creation of God after your own sinful subjective ideas. I think God is like this, is the sure way to create an idol. And Paul says that this is a part of the works of the flesh. It is humanistic, man-made religions. That's what it is. And the second one is sorcery, the word in our list. And this is a word where we actually get our word pharmaceutical or pharmacy. Because in sorcery, this Greek word has the idea of using drugs, some kind of a drug for medical purposes in a general sense, but referring to either the administration of poison or the use of drugs in magical practices. (laughs) So if I take a certain substance into my body, a certain drug into my body, I can get myself into such a state that I get in touch with God. And this is being practiced today pervasively, maybe more than what we realize. And so those are the categories of man-made religion and spirituality that are idle, false religious systems. And then the third category involves eight sins that deal with interpersonal relationships. And we'll go through these quickly. So one, one of the marks of a work of the flesh is it creates a problem and sows discord among people. One of the marks of the work of the Spirit of God is unity within the body of Christ. Unity and love among brothers and sisters in Christ. And one of the marks of the evidence of the flesh rearing its head is when there is conflict and self-centered dissensions and discord among people. The first one on the list there that you'll see is the word enmity. Enmity. And it means hatred, hostility towards someone else. This is a mark of the work of the flesh. Driven by fleshly desires, we have hatred in our hearts. And this sounds so similar, doesn't it, to Jesus talking on the Sermon on the Mount. And he talks about how you say that it's wrong to murder, but he said, no, think about where that murder comes from. It comes from your heart of hatred and hostility toward other people. The second word is the word strife. It means quarreling or discord. It's a self-centered quarreling. That's what it is. Strife. I've got to get my way. I've got to get what I want. And it means, and if you don't want what I want, then we've got problems. That's a work of the flesh. And then we find the word jealousy, which is 
self-explanatory. It's a sinful jealousy of other people. You're jealous of them. You want what they want. You don't want them to have it. You want to have it. Whatever it might be possessions. It might be positions of power and prestige. It might be anything in which you are jealous. And these things promote sin and wickedness among people. Next one. Fits of anger. Denoting a lack of humility and a lack of (laughs) self-control. Have you ever had one of those? (laughs) Fits of anger. Where we are just uncontrollably anger, angry and hostile toward someone else. There's a lack of self-control and a lack of humility and truly a lack of faith. Rivalries is the next one. And really the next four are kind of parallel words. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envy. These are describing factional and self-oriented infighting. They all have that. Attachment, rivalries, you think of divisive groups or cliques. (laughs) This is where ethnic battles come in and racism comes in when we have these kinds of rivalries. My group is better than your group. My clique is better than your clique. These are the works of the flesh and they are divisive. They are self-oriented infighting. You see this running rampant today. Divisions, dissensions, and envy. Spite and resentment toward the success or the possessions of someone else. And then finally, the fourth category is two final sins of dissipated living. Drunkenness and these... The word there, you can read it, it really means excessive Excessive feasting. It has the idea of drunkenness which leads to all kinds of perverted activity. Those two last words. Drunkenness which obviously is self-explanatory. But that last word was often associated with a lot of Greco-Roman idol worship and religious systems. Because they would come together and have these excessive feasts that had a lot of alcohol And then a lot of debauchery, a lot of sinful activity that was associated directly with the worship of these pagan gods. (laughs) Now, my dear friends, at the end of this list of the works of the flesh, in verse 21, he gives the warning. The warning. Those who do such things, he says, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, we've got some explaining to do, don't we? Because when you go down through that list, it's hard for anyone to make it through the list without being guilty at some point and in some way. So when Paul says, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, it has led a lot of people to unnecessarily fear that they are not saved because they're guilty. And really the way to clean that up and clarify that is to understand what he means when he says those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What does he mean when he says those who do such things? You'll want to write this down. It is the continual, habitual practice of these things. 
So if you had a fit of anger today when you were trying to get you and the kids ready to come to church, it doesn't mean that you are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. But if you are marked by habitual persistence in these types of works of the flesh, you have no assurance that you are born again and that you will inherit the kingdom of God. When he says those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, he's saying those who continually, habitually practice these things and are enslaved to these things is a mark that you are unregenerate and therefore not a child of God. It is a real warning. And I'm glad it's there. Because it gives us a strong biblical balance. We are saved entirely by the free grace of God. It's not anything that we did. It's not anything that we will do. You don't buy it. You don't work it out. You receive it as a free gift from God that was purchased by Jesus Christ on the cross. And all you do is you turn in repentance and you believe upon the finished work of the cross of Calvary. And you are saved and saved eternally. However, a mark, the marks of a regenerate person who has spiritual life is not Going to be a life that is enslaved to the works of the flesh. But a life that is marked by the fruit of the Spirit. So let's see what those are and we're, we're done. The fruit of the Spirit in verse 22 and 23. Now, my friends, this is important. The works of the flesh, the what of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit. It's key to understanding what he's doing here. And this comparison and contrast and this strong knock your knees together warning. There is embedded in this last part an assurance of your childhood and of your belonging in the kingdom of God. If you possess And are producing the fruit of the Spirit. And this is not because of anything that you do or have done. It's not because you work up the willpower to improve your behavior. But listen, it is because you are born again. It's because you have the indwelling person of God, the Holy Spirit, that you have the fruit of the Spirit. The works of the flesh are what happens when unregenerate people are left in that state. Enslaved to sin. You may not do all of them. You may do more that are not listed in that list. These lists are not exhaustive lists. But they are categorically representative of what the works of the flesh look like and act like and are characterized by. Now before we... Read these, this ninefold fruit of the Spirit. I want you to see, first of all, that this fruit is singular. It's singular. It doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. It is the fruit of the Spirit. That's significant. Why? Because the fruit of the Spirit is a package deal. The mistake that you and I could make when we go home today is to try through the energy of somehow of our own will. 
power and flesh to produce love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and faithfulness and meekness and temperance. To try to do that from within ourselves would be a mistake. The whole reason that he gives this is so that we will understand that this is a package deal. If you have the indwelling Holy Spirit, you have the fruit. Now, it might be faint. (laughs) It might be not as evident and not as pervasive as you would like it to be. But it will be there. All of it. Why? Because he is there. Look, read it with me. Verse 22. But the fruit, singular, of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That ninefold package deal is the fruit of the Spirit. And the second thing I want to say about it is that this fruit of the Spirit is evidence that you are a child of God. Now, if you were not here the last couple of Sundays, you want to go back. Those those messages are on the web to understand how that you live that out, how you work out what you have, what God has worked in. God has made you a new creation in Christ Jesus. Now you have new passions. Now you have new desires. Now you have new goals. Now you have new affections that are godly and God word. And it is an active faith that must live out through self-discipline and through the, the utilization of all of the means of grace that God has given us so that we are filled continually with the Spirit so that we're controlled and directed and led and empowered by God the Holy Spirit to produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. It's just that ultimately and decisively it does not come from you. It comes from God. It's the fruit of His Spirit, and it is a mark of regeneration that you are, in fact, born again. Well, it's exactly what Jesus said, was it not? I heard a preacher say one time, we're not called to be fruit inspectors. Well, my friends, that's, that's what Jesus told us to be. So I'll, I'll pick Jesus over that preacher. Matthew chapter 7, verse 16. You will recognize them by their fruit. You will recognize them by their fruit. Listen to what he says. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? Do you, do you get grapes from thorn bushes? Do you get figs from thistles? Do you get apples from peach trees? <laughs> do you get green beans from corn stalks? You don't. The tree bears the fruit of what it is. Jesus said, you'll recognize them by their fruits. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Beloved, the whole thing is a comparison and a contrast that says the works of the flesh and a mark of an unregenerate person that is enslaved to sin is this list of 15 different vices. But over against that, is a mark of regeneration and the evidence of the presence of God. There's love. That's why I do. I, I fear. There's been times in my life that I've, I've, I've asked God in prayer, God, what's wrong with me? Am I born again? And there have been times in my ministry that I have looked 
with tears at someone and thought, where is Christ in your attitude, in your action? Where is Christ? Where's the love of God? Where's the joy of the Lord? Where's the peace that surpasses all understanding? Where's the self-control? It's a fruit of the Spirit. If He's there, they are there. And the whole Christian life, I feel like preaching that other message again. The whole Christian life is, is the, the prayerful, intentional seeking of God through all the means of grace, the Word of God and prayer and the local church and Christian relationships. That you would be being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And if you walk by the Spirit and are led by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh and you're not under the law. That's what he's saying. And you say, well, what happens if I do feel like maybe I am enslaved? And my friend, you have one prayer to pray. Oh, God, have mercy upon me. Oh, God, have mercy upon me. You see, at the end of the day, my friends, and this again is not a scare tactic. This is a reality. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you say about yourself or what somebody else says about you or what I say about me or what I say about you. What matters is what God has done in your life. And if God has done a work, it's an eternal work. And the way that we know it is because there's a love and a joy and a peace and a long-suffering and a patience and a goodness and a faithfulness and a gentleness and a meekness and a self-control that are there because He's there. Let me pray with you. Father, we are so thankful today for Your Holy Word. We pray that You would just take these words and seal them to our hearts. Give us an understanding, O God. And I would pray for each and every one of the people that are in this room. I would pray for them, God, right now, that you would help them to realize just where they are. Just where they are. I pray that those, oh God, in this room that are lacking vital spiritual life, that you would just reveal it to them. You would give them that blessed gift of the conviction of sinfulness and a sinful state that leads to repentance and faith. Father, I pray that every born-again child of God that's in this room today, you would just, you would just confirm that with the evidence of the good fruit on the tree. You would just confirm that by the reality of that inward presence of God, the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we would walk according to the Spirit, live empowered by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, that we would not gratify the desires of the flesh, but walk in a way that's righteous and holy, pleasing to you, glorifying to you, edifying to the church, and a strong and powerful gospel witness to those outside the church. That's what we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.